Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Joining us this week is Mayor Rick Blangiardi. And Mayor, it's official. Skyline is up and running. That opening ceremony, inaugural ride. What were some of your takeaways? Well, you know, I had a great sense of pride in the moment because, first of all, um, this has been a project that's been in the works, if not in the idea stage for over 50 years, right? And you think about all that's transpired uh, since it was passed by referendums in 2005, and to get to a moment of reality and what that represented um, and the achievement of it all was very, it was very gratifying. It was very exciting. I th- and I thought the opening day thing was tremendous. Yeah. Some folks in the media have paid attention to the number of riders and then the dip. I mean, we knew that was coming that we saw from the first day of paid rides. Yeah, look, right. But is that worth paying attention to? No, not right. Not at this stage. This is a trend. We've used the word over and over again. It's transformative. It's for future generations. My focus right now, while we are going to build ridership, don't get me wrong, we have to build ridership, and we will, and people will make their own decisions as it gets more real, if you will, in their lives and and. Uh, and their experiences. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think about it in more comprehensive terms. You know, first of all, we have ongoing construction for the next segment, mm-hmm. uh, but also it's the operational aspects of what we're currently doing right now and, and the level of that and how we're executing and, you know, the bus bus uh, transfers, all that stuff. Look, it was really well built. It's a first of a kind of it's the United States. It's truly a modern project. We talk a lot about modernizing our city, and this puts us in the forefront uh, on a driverless, all-electric uh, system that is really state-of-the-art. So, you know, it's um, it'll come. You watch. Uh, I, I have every confidence. Look, look, we've been conservative. To be honest with you, we said that by the end of the first year, we could be averaging eight to 10,000 riders. Uh, the fact that I think we had a couple thousand so far each of the paydays is, is, is okay where we are, especially at this time of year. We're going to get there. And Mayor, sticking with rail, um, a few days from now, you'll be attending the groundbreaking ceremony for the Halava View Apartments. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that project? I mean, it's so close to that, that first rail stop in Halava right now. Yeah, What's I, the potential for something like that? Well, I can just say it's, for uh, want of a better way to say it, it's the beginning. You know, um, TOD has been talked long about long and hard uh, as a possibility, but we needed a rail to be operational. So this project, which is targeted to 60% AMI and lower, which means it's really affordable, uh, which is expansive in nature, has been, been on the books for a while. So just nice timing, coincidental with the opening of the rail, the reality of this is going to hit. And I believe it's uh, just about a half mile from the station, which I think is that within a radius pretty good mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean you have to take any kind of you know vehicle you could easily walk a half mile if you had to or if you were not able to walk it get somebody could drop you off very easily uh, but more than anything it's about um, housing in that area in Halava that's a fort there hasn't been projects out there in a very long time and I'm going to say it again this is just the beginning you're going to see and hear and we're going to be very proactive as the city and I believe the state will be as well about building housing along the rail line. This is the beginning. The work isn't done yet, though, for Lori Kahikina and Hart. Right. And what needs to be done now to complete this next phase, at least operationally for you? Do you need to go back to the FTA, or what kind of no, happens now for you? No, not to my knowledge. We're all good to go. We, we have to get uh, some paperwork in on the amended FFGA. 
that that's a technicality, but it has nothing to do anything really with the sex seg- second segment. It really has to do with the fact that in phase one, mm-hmm. the three segments, and amending it to 18.75 miles versus a 20. But no, right now, all, uh, all lights are green. Um, I'm confident we're going to be there in two years. I'm hoping less, but I don't want to put them in a spot like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Projection right now to uh, be able to operate the Middle Street is the summer of 25. Now that folks have gotten to ride it and kind of experienced that trip from East Kapolei to Holava, do you think there's more public buy-in that, yeah, this project is here now, but it'll do more once we get to airport. It'll be more once we get to Middle Street. I think think the interest will increase um, and the appreciation will increase, but obviously the longer the rail system is and the more people participate on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, we know it's in a certain lane or a certain corridor and other parts of this island people don't. necessarily are going to be riding it in the same way the people who will be directly impacted. But the fact that it's here and it represents what it does, I think uh, most people will feel pretty good about the fact it's part of a public transportation system. This past weekend, we got some sad news on the passing of former police chief Lee Donahue. Mm-hmm. Did you know, Chief? I did quite well. In fact, I um, I was really deeply saddened. You know, I was um, aware that he had been sick. I didn't know that he was close to dying. And obviously, he you know he passed at the age of 80. Uh, he he was he was a personally to me he was a friend, but he was a mentor, somebody I really looked up to, uh, and sought his counsel on a number of occasions. I just really liked the guy, and I understand. I mean, you know, so did everybody else. I mean, he was. I've read some of the comments. You know, he was uh, a cop's cop. You know that kind of thing. We used to say in sports world, sporting world. You know, players a player's coach. He was that. He came up through the ranks. Um, he had the respect of everyone, did a lot of stuff since he retired for the community, uh, and also a lot for HPD. He didn't forget where he came from, and so I always had high, high respect for him. He was just that kind of guy. When you met him, you just knew he was he was the real deal. Uh, and it was also a tough weekend in the sports world, losing one of the best UH rushers yeah. uh, in Gary Allen. Yeah. What, do you, what can you tell us about that? Well, you know, I had the privilege of calling all the games that Gary played in when I was announcing with Jim Lee and I were doing radio and TV in those years. And um, he was um, an incredible running back. You know, he was one of those kind of running backs where as the game went on, he seemed to get better. You know, one of those really resilient, tough running backs not so much the pound that out kind of he was more of a slashing runner but he seemed tireless when he was play when he would play and he would just be, he'd be running on his 33rd carry as hard as he did on his first and that really you know wore down defenses you could see it and they and they would give him the ball i can remember a series of plays i've never thought about it this weekend ever since he you know he learned of his passing you know, I, I can remember that they would give him three straight running plays. I mean, you know, they, they, the opposite of what June Jones used to do about three <laughs> straight passing plays, and he would throw down on first and goal in the second. I mean, when Gary had the ball, I mean, they would just run at him, just run at him, let the offensive line, they'd just attack the defense. And that's that, that punishing style football. But from a fan standpoint, you loved it because it was smash mouth ball. It was, but it was done with flair because he, he could break it from any place on the field. And he just he had that capability. He was didn't surprise me. He made it in the NFL. Not yeah. all the guys do. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he played there for a while. Um, but he was a for the University of Hawaii in the years he played. He was the weapon. He really was. Uh, it, it's been just over a month now <laughs> that UH, sticking with athletics, um, has had a new athletics director. Yeah. In Craig Angeles, what was your message or what was your advice to him? Well, you know. Um, 
we met and we had dinner mm -hmm. about a month after he was in the job. But he and I had sent several texts, and I and I was and I wanted to be very encouraging and also responsible, if you will, because he's new to town. Here I am, I'm in a mayor's role. He doesn't really know much about my background mm -hmm. with UH, although some people told him he should reach out to me because of my history, right? So I told him just from a coaching standpoint, sort of coach the coach, I said, look, you know, this is a big job, and you got it. I don't care about what's happened in the past. I said, you need to succeed at this job. Our town cannot take a high-profile public failure. So it's incumbent upon us to help you. But I, I, I'm going to challenge you and say to you, no matter what's gone on before, this has to be the best work of your career. And you need to take that and embrace that. And we're here to help you make that happen. And, I, and it was very favorable. He took a lot of notes. He's, uh, you know, and I understand he's done a lot of outreach. He's taking a lot in. And I think that's a good sign, somebody who's willing to listen versus walking in with the hubris like, you know, okay, well, here I am. I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. I like it when somebody approaches their job that way. So right now, um, I, look, he's in a very tough situation with respect to football. Football's in a very precarious place, you know, and it remains to be seen. I was concerned about season ticket sales are actually down 25% from where they were a year ago. Oh. We all know with a 3-10 and 10 season that the last several games the stadium was not filled, and now, now they've expanded it to 15-3, I think. Um, and so, you know, they've got a tough beginning part of their schedule uh, you know they, they're going to be serious underdogs in three of the first four games opening with Vanderbilt on the road coming home home open against Stanford who even though they have a new head coach got lots of great athletes right. always competitive right so and they've got to play Oregon a couple of weeks after that up in Autzen where they're just almost virtually unbeatable so you know that doesn't project really well other than how the team may play as far as wins and losses uh, so, you know, on the heels of the first, but, you know, Timmy and his group, I like the way the kids play. They play hard. The question is, really comes down to athleticism. So we, we need the fan base to support it. But that said, on the, on the macro level, that's a precarious place for Division One football right now at a time when conferences are constantly, you know, realigning or rethinking who they are and other things like that. And we've got to somehow, somehow regain the community support that we used to have for that program the way we used to have it. And that has to happen. It's a vital part of living here. You can't just put it all on the head, on the shoulders of the head coach on wins and losses. It's more to it than that, much more to it. No, I hear what you're saying. And okay. I believe that that's the way too. But the question is how, right? How, how do you get that community? I mean, yeah. I know what you're saying. And I, when I was younger, I remember you know, being a little kid, I probably wasn't older than five years old, and I learned how to rip up the program, and a stadium crews don't want to hear that, yeah. to throw it to over throw it. and make confetti, right? Yeah, Once yeah. they get into the red zone, because you know it's almost time to throw I, it. I remember those days, so yeah. So, like, little kids used to do that kind of stuff, but yeah. how? How do you get back to that? Well, look, I there's an old adage that people go where they're invited, okay? And I think there's a few things that have to happen. One, I think we have to be much more aggressive in trying to challenge the community for the sake of the community to come out and support the team. You know, I just don't see much of that. I think the pay-per-view model is mm -hmm. really hurtful. Uh, in a day and age where so many of our people are struggling and going paycheck to paycheck. In fact, there was a story this weekend about the bankruptcies here in Hawaii. And even though we are, we are low in bankruptcies compared to other populations of our size, uh, we have a lot of people here just living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, pay-per-view is not, not cheap. And um, neither are the tickets to go to the stadium either. Mm -hmm. But the pay-per-view um, is 
doesn't make sense in that it, it people who can't afford to pay for that or, or even if they wanted to, but they can't and they don't, just removes them because then if they're not going to the stadium itself uh, because of the ticket prices, mm -hmm. then there's no incentive there. So what you want to be able to do is showcase the product to as many people as possible and make it free so they can build that fan base. And then those people maybe, maybe it might not be necessarily season ticket holders, they could become that, mm -hmm. but they could migrate. But there isn't that mechanism there to engage the people. You make it an exclusive product by keeping it on pay-per-view, um, even for the away games, which is, to me, asinine. So, um, you know, I think it's stuff like that. You've got to show the product. You've got to find ways to, you know, challenge the community, ask them to come in there, maybe even price differently. Look, I hold season tickets. They're not cheap. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean, candidly speaking, I just renewed my four season tickets. It was over twenty eight hundred dollars. If I do the math on that, for the six or seven home games, four season tickets, that's 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 not cheap. That's not cheap entertainment. So, um, you know, there's a reality there too. And yet they're trying to compete in mud day football right now with NIL and transfer portals and all of that stuff. Although I heard a good thing about a transfer portal the other day. I was really down on it, but. Somebody I know and highly respect, really prominent world of football, and said, nah, if you do the, and I haven't had the opportunity over the last several years, in the, what, and I, I probably never would have, but he said, if you do the analysis of who's really in the transfer portal, except for maybe one or two high-profile players, there's a lot of guys that a lot of coaches made mistakes on, <laughs> and, and they're guys who aren't going to really play, and they're putting themselves out there in the transfer portal because they've come to that realization that the school they showed up on and they're looking just to get out of that and re redirect themselves into a program where maybe they can't play. So he said it's not as insidious or as onerous as I thought. I, I had a different view. I was thinking, wow, these kids, if they don't like what's going on, they're not going to fight for their position anymore. They're just going to transfer out, and you're going to lose that intangible that you try to create in coaching a young man through those very formative years, you know, because 18 to 22 or 18 to 23 or so, those are really big developmental years, and, and you want somebody in a Division One program who can handle adversity because football games are notorious for adversity, overcoming adversity. And I always thought that this is really lessening that. You know, kids will they'll give up on the fight, yeah. you know, but he had a different perspective on it. So, look, I love the game of college football. I want to do everything I can to support it, and that's why it means so much to me to be concerned right now about the precarious state of affairs that the UH program is in. It's in a very, um, we, need to get, we need to get people in the stands and, and we need to give Timmy a long leash. People need to be patient um, and not judge the front part of this coming season necessarily. And look, they're only 17 and a half points on the dogs against Vanderbilt. I coached, uh, okay. <laughs> I coached in games where we were a lot more than that and we won. Okay, so anything is possible. Just at Vanderbilt, looked so awesome yeah. last year. <laughs> at, they played here, and then we were going up there. And then, you know, as the season went on, Vanderbilt almost went to a bowl game last year for the first time. And they actually knocked off Florida and Kentucky, and those are big schools, big programs. So I, I'm thinking of them as much improved, typical SEC. Um, I'm, I'm concerned. <laughs> I, I, but I'm off to, I, I'll be there at Stanford. I, 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 I will be, and I'm going to, my goal this fall is to be at every home game. Uh, I think I had to miss one last year because of a conflict, but I've, I've just, that's it. I want to be there. Walk the walk, right? You just said community walk the needs walk. to back them, That's right. So we'll, you'll be there. That's, that's right. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, Mayor, another 
news coming out of the sports world. Hawaii's Allison Corpus ah. won the U.S. Women's Open this past weekend. Her first LPGA win. Were you able to catch any of that? Yeah, you know, I only caught the highlights of it, but it was I, I loved. I listened to her post, uh, her post, her interview, yeah. and very humble. She, you know, she she mentioned the fact that she used to dream about it, but never really thought it would happen. You know, but. Um, I love what her father had to say about her. You know, he's, she's just been tough-minded since she was a little kid and really determined. And so I've, I've actually had people write me a text, are you going to throw a parade? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. It's hard to do that for, like, a, you know, a single person, but we should do something to recognize it because I think she's the first American since 2016 that's won the U.S. Open. But on top of that, the first person from Hawaii is a woman. I mean, we just we still are celebrating Clarissa Moore mm-hmm. and we'll continue to do so. I think she's a tremendous role model. Uh, there are a lot of good female golfers, as we we both know, and not the least of which is, ironically enough, Michelle Wee, as I understand, mm-hmm. it just retired. Yes. Um, so you know, you you look at that and you say, "Wow, that's great." That gives hope and inspiration to uh, a lot of people, and it's also a moment of pride. As we just talked about the challenge for our community and supporting program, this is one of those things that people are proud of I me. Mean, I think back, even even now, people are stopping me saying about last year's Little League team and, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. Japanese and, media brought it up during the rail. Yes, yeah, too. they did. That <laughs> was a big deal with them. Because yeah. you know what, they wished they they yeah, were the, yeah. the, the, the uh, world champions. So yeah, um, the, I look, Hawaii's um, been known for you know producing for the size of our state, our population lots and lots of world-class athletes and um it's always great when you see somebody uh especially like her allison get 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 to a place like that and and pull it off because that's really really tough that's really tough to win you had an addition to your cabinet this week gene albano starts at the Mm. department of facility maintenance what can you tell us about gene yeah he's a he's a really good man Uh, i would tell you that we're i just Feel really fortunate that uh, his name was given to me because I was doing some due diligence out there, asking if anybody knew anybody that um, could take on a responsibility like this. And Brennan Morioka, who used to be the head of the School of Engineering at UH, I think he still is actually. And he's also the stadium board chair. Um, he said, "Look, I, I I know a guy, but I don't think you'll ever get him. But at least maybe he'll know somebody. But you should call him because he's a good guy." So <laughs> that's how it started. And he's had a big job as an um, electrical engineer with WSP, which is a big engineering company, been there for a lot of years. And uh, actually prior to that, had a really, really, really great career. I don't know, call it fate, call it uh, whatever, but you know where the city's at, I think it just was able to reach out to Gene at the right time in his life. And he was willing to look at making a transition. And the way I kind of position with him, this is not about a job, man. This is about a calling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what DFM does is so much uh, in the way of providing core services, you know, for this for the city and the people who live here. And his kids are grown. His daughter just graduated from college. His other son's a junior, about to become, I think, a senior. And um, and he said he would do it. <laughs> and um, I mean, it took more than a couple of phone calls, right. and we had to wait a few months. I'd okay. <laughs> But but in the, when all got said and done, what was a long shot came to be reality. And today, uh, or this week, actually, was his first week in the job. And I'm very confident that he's going to bring a lot to it. He's a um, highly respected man in the Filipino community as well, I think. Um, I'm going to see him Saturday night at the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Filipino Chamber of Commerce. But he's been in leadership roles in the community, and he's highly respected as, as an engineer. 
Yeah, what a great story of like a local boy done good, right? Moanalua grad, like you said, a leader in the Filipino community. Um, but like you said, there is a lot that this department touches. Um, a lot of complaints come from that department, you know, when it comes to potholes or things on our streets. What do you hope that he get? What's your expectation? For well, one of the things I hope he can do is to really help us with the recruiting effort and be able to attract people. Because right now we're operating with an opening of 376 people, which is about 40% of the workforce. So when you put that together, it's like a 900-person department. So some of the work that people complain about just because we don't have the manpower to get out there. And then there's the never-ending, you know, if you want to talk about just potholes alone, I mean, you know, in, in the asphalt work, and we met last week with the operating engineers, um, and we put money in the budget this year to try to outs hire outside people to augment what we're not able to do in our city. But just that alone is a major task. But I'm hoping that Gene... Um, will be able to help us with the recruiting efforts as well as, look, I've been to those base yards. The people who work there and the kind of work that goes on at DFM is hard-collar, blue-collar, mm -hmm. you know, hardcore hard blue-collar work. And, um, you know, and they need somebody that um, they can look up to who they, they, they believe in, and I think Gene's going to be that kind of leader. Dawn Subcheck, by the way, did a great job when she was director there. We unfortunately mm -hmm. lost her to the private sector, but... Um, and understandably so, but Gene um, just is going to bring a lot. I know he will. You recently participated in a joint press conference with Senator Hirono, Congressman Case, the EPA Regional Administrator Martha Guzman, uh, that $1 million climate action planning grant. Why, why is funding like that significant? Well, I think anytime we get outside financial support like that, it just helps us with our endeavors. You know, and that, you know, it takes money to do these things. You know, we're... Uh, all the climate action initiatives, uh, you know, given what we're trying to transform to require money. And the trick for us is that how do we expend monies and at the same time don't make the things that we're doing expensive for the people here? Because I've said often, you know, uh, the, uh, the cost of living, as we all know in Hawaii, has always been high. But you start getting involved with things like energy costs going up. You know that variable food costs going up. You know, uh, uh, and uh, just so many different things, healthcare, all that stuff, right? So, so climate change is something that's very real. As island dwellers, we can't turn our backs on it's. Uh, so this money helps us to implement things where we don't have to pass the cost of that on to consumers. And anytime we can do that to move us forward into the 21st century in this area using federal monies, if we can leverage federal monies, that's one way to keep it cost affordable. It's not every month, though, we see the mayor doing a press conference with our congressional delegation. Mm. What's that dynamic like? I think it's been pretty good. You know, I, um, I don't know Senator Hirono that well, so I'm going to be really careful here because I, I think she would appreciate my saying that. I do know Senator Schatz quite well, and I've gotten to know Congressman Case over the years and actually was in the kind of a day parade with Joe Takuda, who I've known for a lot of years as well, actually. And so, so I, I feel comfortable with them because they have known me from the standpoint of my background in, in running Hawaii, uh, Hawaii News Now and the things that we did and how we did them. And so that was always, you know, I would meet with them when they would come in the building, always showing them that respect, right? So I, I feel like um, clearly, even though I'm new to politics, I think they like what they've seen over the last two and a half years. They understand where we're coming from as a team, and, uh, and they're there and wanting to help us, especially given 
what's going on in Washington with the appropriations right now. There's probably more federal money than's ever been available before, and all of them are working with us and encouraging us to try to access as much as we possibly can. So, we're, and I mentioned that day, we, we're, we're up for a, a bunch of grant money. We just got awarded $45 million uh, that went to uh, DTS uh, and two different grants, 25 and 20. I mean, this is significant influx of monies that we don't have to, you know, create any debt for uh, that can help move us forward. So we, we want to do that. You mentioned that 4th of July parade in Kailua. First time that that parade has been back since before the pandemic. What was it like out there? Uh, well, you know, it was actually, it's a very intimate parade. You know, because you walk down the street and the people are right there and they were really up for this parade. I think as the whole Kailo, that whole side always is anyway, but I've never marched in it before. Mm -hmm. So there it was, the street was lined on both sides with tents and families and tons of kids. Uh, he was walking with Governor Green and his wife and his kids too. We're all kind of together. Uh, but it was like almost out of a movie, it felt like. You know, it wasn't the 4th of July. Everybody was patriotic. Everybody was in good mood. It was a beautiful day. Uh, and it went by way too fast. It was only like 1.1 miles, you know. Uh, but the crowd was really up. They were really energetic. It was really a, a nice feel-good. I was pleased for the community. I talked to one guy as I was walking down the street to get to the, my starting point where I was supposed to be. And he said, I just want you to know, this is my 50th. He said, my 50th parade. I live on this street. I've lived here all my life. And, um, and he was just saying, thank you. We're glad we're having it again. So it was like that. It was it was what you would want a morning parade on the 4th of July in your hometown to be like anywhere in America. Yet here we were in Kailua with all of that pride of, of, of that town out there to show. A kind of interesting concept. And I know the Kahala Hotel um, experimented with this at the beginning of the year. But instead of firework shows, the use of drone yeah, shows. Yeah. You think I, something like that would ever become a reality? No, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't even know we weren't going to have them at El Moana Center the other night. And I've got to find out because I think El Moana has been historically the party that's paid for it. They stopped doing it during COVID. We have the benefit of what the Hilton Hawaiian Village does on Friday nights. And I did see some fireworks on July 4th. I think it looked like it came from somewhere like where Kahala was, but there wasn't much. It wasn't long. Uh, we, I, I don't know, you know, I, I'm, I'm very aware of why the drone things are happening. There's a lot of people talking about not adding more to the atmosphere and so on and so forth, but gee whiz, you know, it's the 4th of July, yeah, and, uh, and so I, I think, uh, I, 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 <laughs> I think drones would be a last resort, let me put it that way. I'm not saying they're not cool. I watched some video from different cities that had it this year, and they look pretty cool, but it's just not the same thing um, as fireworks. Uh, say that for you personally, or for you as the mayor of the city of Kanihulu, where fireworks uh, are part uh, of our culture? A I'll say it both ways. I, I'll say it both ways, because culturally, fireworks, I mean, look, we haven't talked about what goes on here at New Year's Eve, which is mostly illegal, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and difficult to enforce, but it's culturally, mm -hmm. right? And it has been ever, ever since I can remember. I remember going back into the mid-60s, being blown away by that. Uh, when I first saw it, so it's only gotten more so over the years. So, look, I, I just think it's something, as I found myself that night, late, after coming back from a reception, turning on YouTube to watch some PBS broadcast of the fireworks in Washington, D.C., vicariously on a television set, 
it's just part of the day, part of the celebration. And I'm a traditionalist, and I say that in a lot of good ways. And I'm, I'm all for embracing the future on one hand, but some things I like to keep the way we've had them. Mayor, this is the one Oahu podcast. So for your one final thought. Well, you know, my one final thought really is sort of like where I think we are two and a half years into it. It was really great almost to the day that we got sworn in two and a half years ago that we had real going. But we also, on July 1st, began our new fiscal year. And this is the second year in which, uh, well, three years in a row, the city councils unanimously approved our budgets. But this budget is our, now our second one that's reflective of the priorities. And that's why I signed it. Uh, I think I'm the first mayor in the last 13 years that signed it. And I, I admittedly, I didn't sign the budgets before, but this one I wanted to sign to put our signature on it because that's the kind of confidence we have on the resources that we've now made available, targeted towards our priorities. Add to that my confidence in the team of men and women that we've been able to assemble over the course of the last two and a half years. We talked earlier about Gene Albano being new to join us, but I have now had the privilege of working with this team for two and a half years, and I've seen their potential, I see their capability. We've given them the right resources. We have the plans in place. I'm very excited about the road ahead. Mayor, thank you for your time. Thank you. And don't forget, if you have a question for Mayor Blangiardi, submit your podcast questions at oneoahu.org slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, aloha.